Now, some people would look at that and say, well, we just, if we could just return to that, then everything would be better. But that's not necessarily the answer because everything, the society and culture changes. So what happened is women were not cared for in that. And so they had less work to do at home. They, their children were being sent to school. There was just a lot less for them to do. So idleness grew out of that. Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore, and usually I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Missy Branch, but for this season of the podcast, I'm going solo. For the next several weeks, you'll hear from the contributing authors of our forthcoming book with B&H Publishing entitled, Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work. Our team prays these conversations are not only encouraging and inspiring, but will also give you a good preview of the book itself as we chat about each chapter throughout the season. You'll also love getting to know our amazing contributing authors whose chapters I had the privilege of editing. Pre-order your copy of Women in Work at the link in the show notes, and thank you for joining our mission here at Women in Work by making a one-time donation or by becoming a monthly partner at womenwork.net slash donate. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Women in Work podcast. I am so excited to have another contributing author to the Women in Work book on today. We have Courtney Rysick coming on with us today. Uh, Courtney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, you guys are probably already familiar with Courtney if you are a fan of the Women Work podcast because she was our very first guest. I don't, Courtney, did you realize that you were number yeah, well, one? You, you tagged me in another day, and I was like, "Oh, I guess I was." So yes, I was um, listened to the one. I've been listening to it a lot recently, and so I was like, "I forgot I was the first one." <laughs> you were our first guinea pig. In fact, I think we even were kind of practicing on you a little bit, mm-hmm, and then yeah. it went well. So we were like, "Oh, we're, we're keeping it. We're keeping it." But for those of um, you listening who don't know Courtney yet, let me tell you a a little bit about her. She is a writer and a Bible teacher living in Little Rock, Arkansas. She is the author of numerous books and Bible studies, including Teach Me to Feel, Worshiping Through the Psalms in Every Season of Life. And she also has a new Bible study coming out, which will be on the covenants. And so we can talk about that in a minute. Courtney and her husband are the proud parents of four sons, and together they serve at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock where she is also the discipleship content director. So that's awesome. I was going to just mention the other titles of your books in case um, our listeners are curious. And so your first book, Courtney, was called The Accidental Feminist, mm-hmm. Restoring Our Delight in God's Good Design. And then you came out with Glory in the Ordinary, Why Your Work in the Home Matters to God. And then this last was Teach Me to Feel. And do you have a title yet for the new Bible study you're writing? I do. I do. It, so it comes out March 7th. So, um, and it's on, it's called Promises Kept. And it's on um, five Old Testament covenants and how they're fulfilled in Christ. Oh, that's and great. And then it's a six-week Bible study. So the sixth week is on uh, the Exodus and the okay. Passover. So, oh, how nice. Yeah. Awesome. So what prompted you to start thinking about the covenants to, to write that? Uh, well, I love the one story of scripture and I um, have spent a lot of time studying it both personally. And then I studied it obviously in seminary because that was a big part of a lot of our classes there. And then um, had taught some on it, both in my local church and then 
at various like women's training events that I'd been at. And so I, I really wanted to write a Bible study. And so when, when I started started to think about what I would do. It seemed like a really good first Bible study to write because it kind of lays a framework. And then the covenants also are really are hard to kind of wrap our minds around of what, because we don't live in a covenantal society. And so we don't live in a society where we see that uh, happen. And we're, and we also, uh, I'm a Southern Baptist. And so in Southern Baptist life, we aren't, we don't have covenantal theology where we, uh, where we see all of those fulfilled in kind of in covenantal theology is just a little bit different. So I wanted to give uh, a covenantal, a, a, a way to look at the covenants in a way that wasn't our Baptist friends would say. I, I agree with that. I <laughs> so, hear you. I hear you. Yeah, and, Presbyterian... and no shade to my Presbyterian friends and <laughs> family members. Like I have family members who are Presbyterian. So yeah. Yeah. So I was trying to remember, Courtney, how we first even connected. Mm-hmm. Um, you were I don't actually. Remember. I know. We were Southern at the same time, though. I think we, we were. We were, but I mean, yeah. I don't, we weren't, I don't, I knew, I think I remember you kind of being there and, mm-hmm. and we were there at the same time, but we somehow yeah. our paths did not cross that much. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they did. I, but I, we started talking, you reached out to me to talk to me about when you were first starting thinking about women in work. Right. And I had written, it was after Glory in the Ordinary. So I had written about faith and work already and so had had interest in that. And then because of that, we started, talking because you knew I ca- I cared a lot about how to think about work. Right. Uh, yeah. And you were actually part of our, I guess, charter kind of board of directors yes, there. I was, so yeah. I mean, you're kind yeah. of like, you're part of the history of women yeah. at work now. So. <laughs> and it's such an important and needed ministry because uh, at the time when I started talking to you, I didn't work full time outside the home. I did, I, I would speak places and I would write, but I primarily, I had small children. And so and it just didn't work for our family for me to work outside the home. And now I, I work full time. And so I desperately need encouragement in the yeah. work that I'm doing and awesome. that um, there's not always a lot out there. So, yeah. well, so I appreciate the ministry a lot. Well, I'm so glad that and now you're even more apart with this book. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you're just you're just in here with us, girl. You, you can't get rid of me. <laughs> All right. So um, every episode, you know, we ask our guests the same three questions. So, but we already asked you those, Courtney. So we're going to ask you some new questions. They're going to have to, if they want to learn what you wanted to be when you uh, were a kid, what you wanted to be as an adult, they're going to have to go back and listen to episode one. So I wanted to ask you a couple of different ones. Okay. Um, So this is just kind of our rapid fire questions. All right. So what aspect of your work is bringing you the most joy lately? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I, so I work on staff at my church and I oversee um, women's ministry and, and then also our adult curriculum for our adult, like Sunday school, we call them groups, but they're essentially Sunday school classes. And so I oversee all of our curriculum and then training of our teachers and using the curriculum. So it really is things that I really love. I do other things content related, but those are the kind of two big buckets that I spend a lot of my time in. And I, um, I think the thing that's bringing me the most joy is that we just have a lot of really, really great people at our church who really love the Lord and really want to grow. And so being able to, uh, help facilitate that is really encouraging to me. And I, um, I spent a lot of time doing public ministry outside of my local church I was always planted in my local church, but I've done a lot outside of it and seen how God has worked all over the country. But now being able to be rooted in my city and with my people here uh, to be able to see how God's working in their in their lives um, is really encouraging. And so I I find a lot of joy in seeing someone say they 
they love the Bible or they understand it better, or they were helped grow to love Christ more. Um, and so those are the things that really bring me joy. Love that. I love that you've had kind of both experiences of mm-hmm. traveling and now you're really planted there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so great. So what is the biggest lesson you learned last year? So one of the things that I, I regularly have to learn is to uh, believe the best and be slow to speak. And so okay. I regularly look back. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a speaker and I teach the Bible and I'm a writer. And so my natural inclination is to, to not do those things. My natural inclination is to say something. Uh-huh. And I think that one of the things I've had to learn is in ministry is I'm a finite human being and I don't, I don't know all the details of any given situation. And I like to think that I do. And so mm-hmm. I feel like every year I look back on my life and say, I wish I would have just been a little more slower to say something in that moment or a little bit more quick to believe the best in that moment, as opposed to thinking uh, that that wasn't, it, that it was what I thought it was. And so I feel like I'm about to turn 40 in uh, in a week, actually. And I feel like I'm looking back in the last 10 years of my life and saying, um, man, I thought I knew a lot of things a year ago or 10 years ago. And I, I feel like I'm probably going to look like look back on my life at 50 in 10 years and say, I thought I knew things at 40 that I, that I really didn't know. So I think that I learned the most last year is that uh, that things take time. And sometimes what you think is true is not always true. And you just have to wait it out. So. Right. Yeah. And it takes a lot of humility to do that. To A, to not to oh, be. Yeah. It takes a lot of self-control. Oh, yeah. And the humility to say, you know what? I actually don't know everything. So that's a yeah. good lesson to learn. Yeah. All right. One last kind of rapid question. Um, what's something you're planning to do this coming year or hope to do that you've never done? Okay. So I'm learning how to play the piano. Great. But I'm do- my kids are learning. So we don't, I have four kids and they're all very close in age and they all, they're all boys that all play sports. So we don't go leave our house to go take piano lessons because that feels overwhelming to me because there's just too many of them. Exactly, <laughs> so a yes. friend of mine told us about some online lessons that we pay for the curriculum for, and we watch the videos and we do the lessons with the curriculum they give us. I did music in, from like elementary school all the way through high school, so I have a working knowledge of music so that I at least can understand what is being said when they're talking. And so I thought, well, we can just watch the videos and see, but I've always wanted to learn the piano. So I thought I need, uh, I think I heard someone say one time, like, if you work with your mind, you should do something with your hands. And I tried yeah, gardening and I'm not really good at that at all. And I don't like it. So <laughs> oh, you don't. I don't love it. I wish I did. I want to like it. Um, you know, on Instagram, everyone has beautiful gardens and I always see that and think that's pretty, but then I never go out to my garden and weed it. So it's, yeah. um, or water my plants, but I, um, but I do like to play, I do like practicing the piano and it's, it's, it's an enjoyable, um, exercise for me. So we're all five of us. My husband's not learning, but the five of us are learning how to play piano. That's so fun. Yeah. It's awesome. So are you guys like at all the same kind of, um, no. level? No. Yeah. Same level. No. So my boy, my three boys, my youngest isn't learning, but my, so I guess four of us are learning. My older three boys are at the same level. Um, I'm not because I don't practice as much as them. That's awesome, though, that so, they're practicing yeah. good. <laughs> they are. They like it, which I was really, I didn't know how they would feel about it, um, but they love it. I, they also like that they get to watch a screen, you know. Oh, it's a so, video. You're right. Uh-huh. You're right. So, I hear you. Okay. So you mentioned you're, a discipleship, you're the discipleship content director at your church. And yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like just what you said when we first kind of connected with Women in Work, you've really transitioned mm-hmm. um, just your own work, mm-hmm. even in the last I guess only like four 
four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you kind of navigate, you know, one of our big, it's actually one of our values at Women in Work is um, work in seasons, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you've been in almost several mini season, seasons, yeah. I guess you could say. <laughs> how did you guys navigate um, those transitions and what made you decide, okay, now's the time to stay home. Now's the time to go part-time. Now's the time to go full-time. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I had a really, I've thought about this a lot. Like I don't have a good, we thought through these things type of, um, mm-hmm. but one of the things we, one of the things an older friend told me who was, is probably like a season ahead of me said that she felt like when I was trying to navigate, if I should go, go to work part-time, I worked part-time for a ministry before I came to work at my church. And I was really nervous about it, largely because it was during COVID and life was really uncertain and my kids were doing virtual school and all that kind of stuff. And right. I thought, is this really, uh, is this really the right time? And, but at the same time, we, we knew when we had kids and when all of my kids were in school that I would want to go back to work to, to some degree in some capacity. We just didn't know what it would look like. And so we were praying about different options and things for me to do to take those steps. And so when this first part-time job came up, we thought, well, it's a work from home job. I can do this and I can, I can still be present. And so we did that. And then, um, but my friend, when I was talking to her about it, she said, you know, I've always went back to work in different capacities a season before I thought I was ready. Hmm. And it, it caused me to have to trust the Lord with what felt really chaotic to me. And I really like to control all the outcomes of my life. And so I don't like chaos and I don't like when I feel like everything's unsettled. And so I don't like having to learn new transition transitions. I'd rather everything to be like, I decided at this point, I'm going to do this. And then I decided at this point, I'm going to do this. And then it all works out perfectly. And I don't have to feel uncomfortable in any of those situations. And so I, uh, I did that part-time job and my heart has always been to serve in my local church. And those are harder jobs to come by when you're a woman. And so I I always knew that that was not always a possibility. Um, But when I got my, when I came on staff at my church, I came on part-time about a year and a half ago. And they, when they approached me about it, they said it was uh, part-time, part-time work and it was flexible work. And uh, I could, they would work around my schedule with my kids. And so I thought, well, that's great. So I can do that. And it really, really was um, a really great transition. My youngest son was in pre-K four, but he was in a public pre-K program, which was all day. And so I would work in in the school hours only, and that was it. So I didn't work. Sundays weren't considered a work day, even though eventually they did become a work day. And so that's kind of how we did that. Over time, church work is hard to be do part time, and so. Uh, <laughs> It's just hard to do part time. And so uh, we, over time, I just started realizing that there were, as things were growing and as I got more involved, I really enjoyed the work I was doing and I was open to doing more. So I knew that I had a set amount of hours and they were really careful with not giving me more than what they thought I could handle in part time hours. But as I did it, I realized I love doing this and I love my church and I really want to see God continue to work here. And so uh, there were some staff transitions that happened that opened up some more, um, some more need for some me working a little bit more temporarily. And once I started doing that temporarily, we realized that I could handle full time. It would be a stretch. So there were things I had to start saying no to. So when I decided to work full time, which I came on staff full time last November, I 
we made some decisions of like, something's going to have to give. So like, I can't speak anymore. So I don't, I won't travel to speak unless it's like a friend or uh, like I already have a relationship with the ministry or so, or my whole family can go with me. So it will be, uh, and so those are things that we had to say, I can't do that. And so right. I, um, so when we made the decision, it was, if I'm going to say yes to this, I'm going to say no to these other things over here. And then we also navigated of asking for flexibility still and uh, things like that, that really kind of helped. And so um it wasn't, it, it sounds seamless when I say it, it has not felt seamless. It has sure. felt really hectic. And I, and then also like I, we made concessions, like I don't clean our house. Like I just don't clean. Like I will cook and I will go to the grocery store, but cleaning is just something I don't even think about and I don't even do. And so I- That's a word, Courtney. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. for you. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not, I, and I told my husband, I said, we have to make these decisions. And he was fine yeah. when he made these concessions of, if I'm going to be out of the home all day right. long, then we have to decide what are the things that we're just not going to, that I'm just not going to even worry about. Yeah. You and just so, don't have the capacity and space to, to mm-hmm. do it. And so I wasn't, you, I wasn't okay. sad about not cleaning because I don't like it. Right. <laughs> I kind of hate it. Yeah. So, so do you, so you're full-time going to church. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, you go in the office every day? Is it, is it office hours kind of thing? Yeah, so our office, um, if you're ministry staff, your office hours are Sunday through Thursday. Okay. Do you like, um, are you more of a homebody where you kind of wish it was like, oh, I could do part of this at home? Or do you like the interaction of going to the office and, you know, being around people? Uh, I love um, the interaction of being around people. Um, Sometimes the nature of my work means I should go home and work instead of stay there. Okay. I sometimes have to like hunker down and say, I am not going to talk to anybody right now because I really have to write this lesson or I really right. have to think about this content or this whatever. And I uh, am such an extrovert that I can get like sidetracked by the people. So I, um, I have had to be more disciplined going forward of saying, I if I really feel like I can't do it in the office, I'll just say I'm going to work from home for four hours and I'll be in a okay. little bit. So I do have flexibility to do that if I need to. So my, um, but I do go in every day because I usually have to t- meet with someone at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now when you started out in seminary, you know, you got mm-hmm. saved, called to ministry. Did you ever think, I mean, I think I remember our previous conversation, you always knew you were a gifted writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you ever imagine that you would be on staff somewhere as for me going into seminary, I never had that ambition or goal. I mm-hmm. did not want to work on staff. I never have. Um, but how about you? I think I did want to work on staff. I just didn't yeah. know what it looked like. But I also went to a church before I came to seminary where they had women on staff. And so I probably so had that vision. I did. And so I, but I didn't, I, but I only, I didn't have a, a, like a really robust category or picture for it. Cause I went to, I mean, I started in seminary in 2007. So, okay. um, even then there just weren't a lot of women doing any of that. And the woman I knew on staff, she hadn't been to seminary. So I, there were things I knew I liked writing and studying and teaching the Bible. And so I knew, I knew that. And I had been asked to be on the women's leadership team at my previous church before we had, before I went to seminary. And so I knew that people, I mean, in hindsight, I probably was way too young to do that. I was like 24, but I mean, at the time, I mean, I thought they see something in me, I suppose. For sure. But, um, yeah. But then, but I think I also thought I want, I liked school a lot. And so I wanted to go just, 
on to school and I thought, well, maybe I'll be like a dean of women somewhere or yeah. I'll teach classes or things like that. So the role I'm doing now, if someone had said, this is going to be your role in 15 to 20 years, I would have said, that sounds amazing. But I wouldn't have had like a category of like to aspire to that position. Um, even when they approached me about it, I kept saying to our senior pastor, are you for real? <laughs> well, it is so I true. I didn't believe him. <laughs> Well, and that's part of why I love you on here today talking about this is because mm-hmm. there's someone listening who they themselves think, well, what could I do? You know, what yeah. could, mm-hmm. does this just to even offer them, oh, this category actually does exist for women because it does. Yeah. I'm like you. I mean, most of the women that I saw were either definitely only in kind of women's ministry or they mm-hmm. were over um, like preschool or, you know, the little mm-hmm. ones. And so I kind of love that your church values you enough to say, Hey, we're going to let you kind of be over all this content for all these mm-hmm. um, adult small groups. Um, mm-hmm. So praise the Lord, right? Yeah, it is. It's a real blessing, and I think, um, yeah, I think that I, it's a blessing that there's vision for it. And I, I think full disclosure yeah. too. I'm in a large church, and okay. so there is a lot of freedom and flexibility in a large church to have more like focused roles like mine. And I know like the majority of churches are not large churches. And so, I mean, we were in a, we did church planning for eight years and I was in a small church for, for all of that time for eight years. And that church never had more than 80 people in it. And so I, I did women's ministry, but I wasn't on staff. And so I think there, there is a privilege that comes with, I go to a large church. So sure, I think that that's sense. probably, I always want to say that because I think you can aspire to it, but there's also like it's a large church. So, yeah, but I think it'd be great if churches started considering even a smaller church of like two, three, 400 people could consider how they can use women in those in ways, ways they've never considered. Yeah. Yeah. That are um, in like within the bounds of scripture, obviously. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. And I feel like your role sounds a lot like when I was growing up in a kind of traditional church, the, um, that position, I think it was called like education minister or Mm -hmm. something about education, you know, and Mm -hmm. I never understood what that meant growing up, but it's really content. It's what you're learning. It's the Mm -hmm. actual pieces that you're learning. Okay. So let me just ask you this for our women who perhaps are about to step into their first full-time role or even part-time role on staff at a church. Is there like Mm -hmm. just one little nugget that you wish you had known, or you think they should know as they're kind of moving into that church role staff? Um, So one thing that I feel like I'm still learning and we'll probably always be learning is that there's a real, depending on your personality, when you go, when you're so excited to be serving on staff that you want to go in with all your ideas and things that you think you should do. And I think someone told me this before I came on staff and I, I think I believed her. I just didn't, I don't think I did it. And now that I'm like a year and a half in, I'm like, I should have done that because I'm doing it now and I probably should do more of it than I do. But to really spend time talking to people instead of trying to fix things or change things or think about things, how things could be different or implementing anything. Uh, because so much of ministry work is, re- is building relationships and people are carrying so many burdens and so mm-hmm. much hurt and so much pain and so much struggle. And when we take things away or we change things or we have a new idea that sounds like it's going against something that someone had previously done, we can unintentionally hurt people if we don't know them. It's true. And so I think tree, I always say it's like trees take time. So when you think of like the work of discipleship in, in someone's life, it's like the Psalm one um, principle of like the, the word in someone's life over time 
yields fruit. They're like a tree planted by streams of water, but trees take a really long time to grow. And sometimes it looks like you're not, that tree's not growing. And that relational work that you do with getting to know people and hearing their struggles and hearing about their ministry efforts and hearing about what they know about the church that you don't know, feels like you're not doing anything, but you really are doing something. And so that, I spend a lot of time talking to people and I like to check things off my to-do list. And so sometimes that can feel like, um, it can feel like you're not doing anything, but you really are because you're loving people and, uh, and you can do a lot more good in people's lives. The Lord can use you if you know them and show them that you love them and care for them and hear yeah. them. And I'm, well, I'm saying this is someone who I don't think does it well, but um, I want to do it well. Well, it's almost, you're, you're really, you're, you're loving them. You know, you're being there for them. You're encouraging them, no doubt about it, but you're also informing, they're informing you about how really to serve them in the future, you know, because right, right. we all come in, just like you said, we have ideas and we think, Oh, we're, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this or that. But like, once you actually, Oh no, here's what their actual need. Um, then you can actually meet. I think that's super, that's great advice. So before we talk about your specific chapter in the Women in Work book, like you mentioned, you were all, you were already, when I talked to you about coming on with Women in Work, had already been thinking through kind of the faith and work conversation. What, what even got your wheels uh, turning to, to think about that? Because it, I mean, especially in 2018, 2016, 17, there wasn't a ton of conversation, especially Mm -hmm. with women, at least in Mm -hmm. our circles, who were already thinking along those lines. How'd you get there? Well, one the primary reason I got there is because my husband, we both went to seminary and he was, uh, it was always the intent that he'd go on staff in our church. And about a year in, he started thinking, what if God's calling me to not vocational ministry, but to be in business? And uh, I really struggled with that because I thought I didn't marry a businessman. I married a pastor. Wow, so yeah. that was not what I, I, I didn't, I didn't marry you for business. I married you because you're going into ministry. Um, so that kind of forced both of us to have to really think through the value of all work. And so we just read like everything we could get our hands on there. I mean, we read Tom Nelson's book and we read Tim Keller and we read like Greg Gilbert and all those, anyone who had mm-hmm. written a book on faith and work, we read and listened to stuff and thought about it. And so I had been talking with some people at the gospel coalition who were really heavy into that faith and work conversation. And so they, as a result of me talking to them about this for my own personal benefit, encouraged me to write a book on the work of the home. And so not from the perspective of like stay at home mom, but why does the unpaid work of the home matter to God? So in the same way that I had to see that you could be a businessman for the glory of God, I had to see that you could do unpaid work for the glory of God as well. So I had a really narrow focus of that. If you weren't working in ministry, then your work was not as good as someone else's work. And I think that set the stage for me to think about why does laundry matter? Why does cleaning matter? Why does cooking matter? Why does all this unpaid work matter? And so I wrote my second book, Glory in the Ordinary, in that vein of the faith and work conversation for some of that unpaid work that we all do. And so I just, I, so I read a lot because I had to do a lot of legwork because I had not spent a lot of time thinking about that conversation. And so I read a lot of books on how women, how women thought about work throughout the centuries and throughout American history. And it just was really, and at the time, Sheryl Sandberg had written Lean In. There's a lot of stuff out there that was really in in the conversation just culturally of should women stay home or should they not stay home? Should they pull back or should they not pull back? And then the paid leave conversation was was kind of gaining steam as well. So it just was a, a time where, and I think it's still 
has a lot of traction, but um, so it's something that I just was really interested in. And I still am really interested in because of just how we think through the seasons of a woman's life and how they, why they pull back or why they don't pull back and how society helps them or doesn't help them. And then how we as Christians have absorbed the cultural narrative and then have made that to be like gospel narrative when, yes. when really the Bible was written in a certain context and in cultural time period that we superimpose our culture on and say, well, this is what, how it's supposed to be. Um, when yes. really uh, they didn't have any category for how life is now. <laughs> so. Exactly. Right. No, goodness. You just said so, so much there that, um, I love thinking about one of the things is really you guys having to navigate between the sacred and the secular. We talk mm-hmm. about that all the time at Women at Work, that really there in the in the heart of God, there is no division of sacred and secular. Right. We do all right. work as unto the Lord and right. the, the secular is actually sacred. Um, I mean, yes. one of our kind of top verses is Romans eleven thirty six: for from him, through him and to him mm-hmm. are literally all things. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we can yes. offer all of these things back to him yep. because they come from him and we can do it in his spirit. And so that's huge. Um, so tell the, tell everybody, you have chapter seven. Um, I've got it. I've got a printout of your, of your chapter right here. It's so beautiful. (laughs) Tell everybody what your chapter is and, um, what you wrote about in the women in work book. Yeah. My chapter is, uh, on motherhood and the mission of God. So I kind of take, I kind of go more into, into depth in the, um, the history behind why we are kind of where we're at of these, the tension that women feel between, between work outside the home and work inside the home. And so I kind of unpack some of that history. And then I also help think through, uh, I think sometimes I say this in the chapter, people, women who are working outside the home or even working inside the home and contemplating going back to work, they just want someone to tell them that God says it's okay. And this is where in the Bible that God says it's okay. And the reality is that that's not in scripture and we're just not going to find it. We're not going to find a clear definitive answer that someone should or should not do those things. That's where wisdom comes in. And so my chapter kind of helps someone walk through the path of wisdom versus trying to walk through the path of these are the ways you know if you should go back to work. Um, And I think so many people have tried to help women ask questions and answer questions and think through it. At the end of the day, the probably the only people who can help you answer that question are not someone who's writing a chapter to you who does not know you. (laughs) Um, like people who know who are in life with you. And this is why local church involvement is so important for us as believers, no matter if you work in the church or not, because those people live life with you and they know you. The internet can give you a lot of answers, but it's not going to give you an answer that's tailored to you. It doesn't know you. And so I think that I was trying to help women understand the tension that they feel because of the cultural changes and then help them to see the high calling it is to be a mother. And so we don't want to neglect those things. I love being a mother. I, I, before we started recording, my son is sick today and I'm home with him sick. I'm I'm home on Fridays anyways, but I, if I was, I would have, I would gladly take care of him today and I'm so happy to do it. And so it's a high and, and it's a high calling to be a mother, but Helping women kind of think through how they can hold the tension is kind of what I try to do in that chapter. Yeah. And I think what, you, what you're saying about having your local church and your local community mm-hmm. being a part of your life is huge because a lot of us have been kind of sold the idea that there's really just one right way to biblical womanhood, right? There's just this one little narrow path and we have to get on it. Um, but I love what you're saying, just the fact that we would seek counsel about mm-hmm. our own personal life, our own personal family mm-hmm. just goes to show like there are so many right ways to be mm-hmm. a woman who honors the Lord. And so mm-hmm. um, 
how would you really define? So this tension, what are, what are we so uptight about? <laughs> what is it? We want to be good moms, mm-hmm. but what? Talk, let's talk about the actual tension. So I think that the tension that women feel is largely owing to the, uh, this consistent narrative that we've had over time of that the godly wife is the one who does X, Y, and Z. And what, and I believed it. Like I, I, I became a Christian in college and I, I thought, um, I believed a lot of these things and tried to live a lot of these things. And by God's grace, married a husband who said, I'm not expecting that of you. And so I think that that was really helpful for me to, to kind of then give me freedom to say, what are the things that work for our family? And what are the things that work? And, and I can't look at someone else and say, that they're, how they're doing it is right or wrong. And, but I think some of the tension also is owing to the fact that we, to be a mother um, is to possess some of the deepest love that there is, like that we will. And so whether you have adopted children or you have given birth to them, your love for them is so strong that you'll do anything for them. You'll give up your whole life for them. And so it's normal and natural and right for a woman to say, I only want to give my kids the best and I only want to do right by them. And I think because of that, we are easily swayed by narratives that say that you're a godly mom if you do this, or you are loving your children if you do this. And this is why I think biblical literacy is so, so important is because if you don't know your Bible and you don't understand the context and you don't know how to read your Bible, then you will be able to cherry pick verses that say, this is what you must do. And you can be very easily confused. And so, but I think it's that internal love that we have for our children that makes us feel very, very threatened when someone says, this is the right way to do things. And I can do this all the time. Like I'll be, I can be on social media and someone can post something about a godly mom does X, Y, and Z, or like only give your kids X, Y, and Z. And I can be doing the exact opposite. And, and even though I know in my head, that's not true. I can feel inside the, mm-hmm. is it true? Did mm-hmm. I give my kids a best? Are they watching too much TV? Like, did I, I didn't go to their class party. Is everything okay? I was working. I had a meeting or whatever. And, and recognizing that, uh, that we, yeah, that our, our love for them is strong. And so it's going to always have that tension. And I feel like we like, like our flesh, we like a, a, a very black and white, clear cut set of rules. We like that. Oh, yes. Am I doing this? Mm-hmm. I can check that off, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit really doesn't work that way. I mean, that's legalism, Right. right? The actual having to lean in and ask God for wisdom Mm -hmm. and lean upon his spirit. Like those are Mm -hmm. things of the spirit. And so it's so easy, you know, we're sitting here questioning, am I doing the right thing for my kid? And someone's sitting here saying, here's the right thing. And we're like, oh, good. Tell me. Yeah. Right. right. And if I can just do those things, then I'll be right before the Lord and I'll be right before everybody else in my circle. And, and it, and it, but it's a, it's, it's, that's an old, it's his oldest time problem. I mean, Peter and John are walking with Jesus in the end of gospel of John and Jesus is talking about Peter, Peter's going to die. And he looks over at John and he says, well, what about him? And Jesus is like, what is that to you? You follow me. Like mind your business, Exactly. you know, follow me. And we, we do that all the time. I see like, she's doing that with her kids. Okay. Well, maybe I should do that with my kids too. Mm -hmm. And, and, and God is looking at us saying, just follow me, like follow me, if you are walking in step with the spirit and you are reading your Bible and you're actively growing in your faith, that is wisdom. 
And you will know the path to follow. That's right. And I think sometimes we just want all these other things to tell us the path to follow. Well, we it's have so it right interesting because God, we're all on a path of becoming more like Christ. And right. so God might be leading someone else down this road because that's mm-hmm. how he knows he's going to sanctify her. But we're yes. we're totally over here. Well, I'm a totally unique individual before the Lord. Right, right. I'm not just a wife. I'm not just a mom. I am just an, an image bearer. Right, between. right. And so right. this path over here might be the path he wants. I mean, he knows he's leading me there. Right, so right. I should walk that way and then I'll become more right. like Christ as I follow him. So one of the things, um, like you mentioned, that you talk about in the book, I think is so, so helpful is really the historical context mm-hmm. of women's work. And so if you had to say, if you look back, especially at American history in the last, you know, years, if you could point your finger to one thing that changed women's work culturally, mm-hmm. what, what would it be? Uh, so I think the first one was probably the industrial revolution. So prior to the industrial revolution, women, uh, everyone worked in the home. So it was, we were largely an agrarian society or you, you worked in town and owned a shop, but your whole family like lived in the build in the, uh, right above your shop. And so work and then kids didn't go to school super, like they went to school down the road. If they went to school at all, they went to school when they were older. And there's just a lot of things that contributed to the family unit being together all the time. And so because of the physical distinctions between men and women, men were, were often out in the fields and they were working and they were doing the physical labor because men are physically different than women. And so when women were giving birth to children, they were in the home and they were breastfeeding and they were feeding and they were caring for the children. And so we know those scientific biological distinctions meant that women were with their children and men were outside doing some of that work, but they were all working because it took so much work to just run a home and a farm and life. And so there wasn't idleness. There wasn't yeah. There just wasn't a struggle for those things. And those are God-given distinctions. Men and women are different. And and those are meant to bring glory and honor to the Lord. And it is a good thing when mothers care for their children and are with their children and can care for their children and nurture them in those, especially those really early years. But the Industrial Revolution changed everything because it took men to factories. It made the work of the home a lot easier as you started getting a lot more things just industrialized. It took less time to do things. And then people moved into cities. And so, and then children were able were taken to factories to work and so the whole home was destabilized now some people would look at that and say well we just we could just return to that then everything would be better but that's not necessarily the answer because everything the society and culture changes so what happened is women were not cared for in that and so they had less work to do at home. They, Their children were being sent to school. There was just a lot less for them to do. So idleness grew out of that. And so women were trying to find some more work in life. That's where the sec- second wave feminism comes out of a lot of that, where women were like, we need to leave the home and find work to do. The problem is that women still have children, but the marketplace is made for men. Yeah. And so I so like I did not go back to work outside the home until my youngest was in kindergarten. And I took four, like what like 8 years off. And that was a privilege. I recognize that as a luxury I had, but many women can't do that. And so a lot of those things that the the slow progression of that changing without the labor market changing to to accommodate uh, that we have women in the workforce now who are having children has made it so women have, there's a lot of tension in society when we have so many women in the workforce, but we have so few policies that deal with anything to make it acceptable for them. And I think some people, it's not a political issue. It's just a human issue. It's an image barrier issue. And so, um, so I think those are things that changed how we work in society and we're not going backwards. So we're not going to go back to the pre-industrial revolution because every person, and 
any, for every person who says, isn't that so great? Wouldn't it be great if we're all together in the home? They all have their phones, you know? So we all have, yeah. we like some parts of the industrial, yeah. post-industrial revolution, but we don't like the others. We can't do that. We have to learn how to live in this world. So I think that was probably the biggest thing that changed is that home, Carolyn McCulley talks about this in her book, where she says that the home became a place of of uh, consumption versus a place of productivity. And mm-hmm. all, all of us can attest to that, right? Our homes are definitely a place of consumption now and not a place of productivity. Yes. I mean, I think it's so fascinating because we, like you said, we tend to look back at that and think that was the ideal. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of list in the book, you give the example of um, Little House on the Prairie, the English uh-huh. family. Yeah. And that yep. was such a perfect example in my mind because you can mm-hmm. just see this family. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that Ma was in the home because of uh, the Bible. This was just society. Right. It was society. It, <laughs> it was wasn't just and she was at home because of cultural stereotypes. Like it was just, yeah, it's just what you did. And and I think, yeah, it wasn't because the Bible told her she needed to be in the home. Now, I think we can say that the biological nature of being female kept her in the home, which the Bible says is true. Sure. But, and I think, I mean, now that is so countercultural to say mm. that you are, you are a biological female and that is, that's, that's the thing. Like it's real. I know, <laughs> yeah, right? So, I mean, it's, you can't, it's unchanging. And so I think that I, um, yeah. And I, I, I think it, we can idealize it, oh, but sure. women routinely died in childbirth. Children routinely died in in all manner of accidents. The, we didn't have vaccinations like we do now, where people can like have life. Like people got polio and, and were paralyzed. I mean, there's just yeah. it's easy to look back and say, oh, if we could just have a simpler time, it, yeah, it would be simpler. But we would all probably die a lot sooner too. So, I like antibiotics. I like I like I the do too. Yeah, I like <laughs> I like going to the hospital to have my babies. You yes, know, and if you don't want to do that, it's a choice, not not just because of what it is. Another thing you talk about in the book is. Um, post World War II, how during the war effort, you know, women were mm-hmm. contributing to the to all the things needed for that, and then the introduction really of what we think of as like the homemaker, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so interesting because you know World World II. I'm not a history scholar, but you know that ended 1945, mm-hmm. and then I was just thinking of the show um, Leave It to Beaver with June yep. Beaver, yep. and literally, you know that the setting of that show is the 1950s and 60s, mm-hmm. early 60s, and so yep. it's just that is in our brain, but it's not. It's not like you know the producers of Leave It to Beaver said, you know, what does the Bible say about womanhood, and right. let's produce a show about that. That that was a cultural um, happenstance, and you also talk about. Um, how the idea of mommy wars mm-hmm. um, were are actually more recent because mm-hmm. it's only since all of this happened culturally mm-hmm. are we even thinking in this division yeah. of work. Right, right. Um, because women have always worked, you know? Mm-hmm. And you think too, like the cultural nature of it. So like Leave it to Beaver time or like the movie to help. Mm-hmm. The women who worked in their homes, the African-American women who worked in their homes were not with their children. Hmm. They were raising someone else's children. Yeah. And and so we we have to re- like recognize that our cultural assumptions about what women should or shouldn't do is a narrative that we've created for only one type of person, yes. one ethnicity of people. And so I I think that those are things that we have to just wrestle with when we think about what women should or shouldn't do. To be able to have a choice is a privilege. And we and- this whole conversation is about mothers. We're not, we haven't even mentioned mm-hmm. single women. Or women who can't have children. I mean, you know, we're assuming here, we're talking about because your chapter is about motherhood. Um, So that's a whole category of women that Mm -hmm. is another conversation entirely, like the necessity of actually producing uh, an income to live. Right, right. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. 
Well, I love in your chapter, you go on to give um, three um, three ways that wisdom shows itself in, in making these distinctions. Like, okay, what is God calling us to do, my family to do right now, me as a mom? Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I really like, um, the third one, uh, your third uh, wisdom principle is give grace to mothers whose choices are different from your own. Mm-hmm. Gosh, you know, what a needed message, Courtney, because just like we talked about earlier, I mean, we like, we like the one way. We like feeling like I'm doing it right. Um, right. But we all could be doing it right. And it all looks right. different depending on how right. the Holy Spirit's leading. Right. Um, anything you want to add yeah. to that? No, I mean that I looked back over the chapter before this interview and I thought, man, I need this like every day <laughs> right? things to myself. I, I mean, I struggle I struggle with giving grace to mothers who make different choices than me. And I struggle with believing that grace is for me as well. You're that right. because my choice is different than someone else's choice, that that is somehow, that I'm somehow being unfaithful to the Lord. And it is a daily battle to walk in obedience, to say, we have prayed about this. We have talked about this. We have sought counsel about this. We have looked in scripture about this. And this is the choice we're making before the Lord. And we are going to make bad choices. We're going to make the wrong choice. But our salvation is not determined by that. Praise the Lord for that because we're going to make a whole host of... And so I think having to walk in faith that God is still working despite our choices, even if they're not the right ones. And that just because it's a choice today doesn't mean it's not a choice, a different choice a year from now. There's a lot of freedom in that. And so I think that it's just a daily battle to believe what we know to be true is that I am called to work full-time at my church right now. Will I be called to work full-time at my church forever? I don't know. Uh, I kind of want to. Uh, I really like what I'm doing, but I don't know what the Lord's going to do a year from now or 10 years from now. And so I being okay with this is the path the Lord has called me to today and not looking to my right or to my left. And right. I think that's the struggle. So often we look to the right and to the left and we should really just look straight ahead on the path that he's called us to. That's right. Um, and I do want our listeners to know that you have a whole section in here about work-life balance. That's like always the number one question we get yeah. when about motherhood. It's like, how do you do it? How do you do it? And um, I don't clean my house. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's how you do it, Courtney. Yeah. No, I'm um, just kidding. It's not the no, only way, but <laughs> it is a, it is an important way though. Yeah. Um, so our 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 listeners are gonna want to check that. Check out check out your chapter for sure. Um, just on the topic, you mentioned a couple of resources. Anything else you would mention for our women to, I don't know, read, listen to on the topic of just motherhood in general? That would be helpful. Yeah, so the measure of success by Carolyn McCauley. And I think Norshank is really helpful. And I mentioned the other books that I had read. I uh, And then the Gospel Coalition has really good sections on faith and work. And so I think that's really, really helpful. The reality is there is still not that much out there for women who are working. Yeah. And so I, I pray that that changes, but that's the reality. There's just not a lot out there. Mm-hmm. And so reading those things. And honestly, like I've been really helped by reading those books first, but reading secular resources on just like the history mm-hmm. and they're not, they're, they're not coming from the same place as us, but it is helpful to know the historical context. Uh, and then also um, finding people in your church who are in the same stage as you, and maybe even a little bit ahead of you is really, really helpful. That's so smart. So um, yeah, really helpful. Good. And um, so you mentioned Carolyn McCauley. So we actually interviewed her. So she's on a previous episode too. Our oh, listeners okay. can go back and, and okay. find that episode. I don't know what number it is. Um, so this has been great, Courtney. I'm so thankful for you and thankful that you are a part of this book and um, that our readers will be able to glean all this wisdom as they read. And um, any final encouragement you want to offer our listeners today? I would just say, 
whatever you do, whatever it is, just work with all your might. So whether you're working in the home or outside the home and trust that whatever you're doing isn't in vain, which is sometimes hard to believe. So, right. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Thanks. It's been good. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Pre-order your copy of our book, Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work at the link in the show notes. And thank you for joining our mission here at Women in Work by making a one-time tax-deductible donation or by becoming a monthly partner at womenwork.net slash donate. If you haven't subscribed to the show, make sure you do that as well so you don't miss a single episode. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.